Okay, so you guys really know how to break somebody in. I'm glad that I'm getting a taste of what it feels like when it's actually a cold day. Uh, for those of you joining online and some of my friends from Florida who might be tuned in today, you don't understand exactly what's going on here. Uh, there's a couple things. One is uh, it's just plain cold outside. So check my phone before I came up. It was zero. So that's not even a degree. That, that doesn't even exist. It's nothing. So it's, that's how cold it is. The other thing that you might not know if you're not in the room is that uh, being an older building here, a lovely older building, but uh, not one with any central uh, airflow system to it, uh, part of the COVID response is you warm it up as much as you can, and then you open the windows, and there's actually a fan that pulls, makes sure the cold air safely gets into the room. So, so I appreciate the good work of the different teams that have helped this congregation stay safe. Uh, I know that hasn't been the case everywhere, and there's been a lot of challenges, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, but it's very cold in here, and so I've spent a lot of years in my life bemoaning the fact that suits came with jackets and sweating and uncomfortable, and I do not regret the jacket one bit today. In fact, I might have wanted a bigger one even than this, but it's awesome to be here. Uh, a word about uh, the pounding um, and, and it's in the context of, of the family here. So a lot of those things, a lot of that really healthy stuff you see on that list is because of my wife who is concerned very much with our diet and that we eat well. But uh, just between us, she won't be here for about a month. So if somebody had a pound of chocolate, that, that would, would be okay. Just make sure that happens before the end of February. So, all right. Very good. We can play on that. So a little family update. Uh, I'm, I'm here with my son, Gable. We drove out from Florida this, this week. We left there on uh, Monday and headed out across the country. Had, uh, had an adventure, but nothing too wild. Uh, got in here midweek. And now Gable and I will be here uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, for sure through the end of this month. Um, the reason I was delayed a week, if you didn't hear this last week, my first granddaughter was born, my first grandchild was born, and that was a glorious and a wonderful event, and uh, she is a darling little one, and we miss her terribly, not being with her, but, but Grandma wasn't sure she was ready to leave her yet, so she's going to stay there uh, and uh, help out for the next little while with the baby, so... So that's what's going on, and Alicia will get out here as soon as she can. But until then, we will make do. So, all right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity of this day. And as we open your word today, speak to us now. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been spending time in the book of John and I want to do that uh, some more today. And let me get to the right spot. There we go. Okay. I want to spend time in the book of John, uh, some more time in the book of John today. And, and you'll remember the, the last Sabbath, we were talking about the woman from Samaria. And, and we did that a couple of weeks before that as well. And we talked about Nicodemus. But today I want to go back 
to John chapter 1. And we're going to spend some time in this chapter because I want you to see what's important to John and what he's trying to communicate to us. And, and you will see it play out in the stories that we've already talked about, the story of Nicodemus, the story of the Samaritan woman. But I want to start in, in John chapter 1, right at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is an interesting way to start the book. It's very important to John, and this is the Apostle John, it's very important to him that the readers understand who Jesus is. And so the challenge is how are we going to understand that this man, Jesus, who lived, really was all of these things. He was in the beginning. He was the Word. He was with God. He was there in the beginning. Through Him, everything was made. In Him was life. That life is the light of all mankind. How are we going to recognize this? And let's extend that just a little bit. Let's for a second just assume that everybody in the room here believes this. That's great. But how are we going to get everybody outside of this room to believe this? See, that's the great challenge. That's always been the great challenge. In, in God sending his son Jesus as our Savior, that's all wonderful as long as we recognize it and put our faith and our hope in him. But how do we do that? Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. So there was a strategy. God had a plan. And that plan started with John the Baptist coming to prepare the way, and notice these words, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So, so the word made flesh is going to come into the world. And the challenge is going to be for people to recognize who he is. So the process begins with John the Baptist. He comes and, and he then testifies so that through him all might believe. Let's go on, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So here's the challenge. The challenge is that even though Jesus came into the world, the world was not able to recognize who he was. So identity and recognition are a key problem that John wants to address. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 
recognizing him for who he is is critical. So he comes into the world. It's hard to recognize him, but to recognize him is critical because if you do recognize him, you become the children of God. So this is all very important. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is here. He's become flesh. He dwells among us. And he's come to do this great work. But it's critical that we understand who he is and put our faith in him. So let's go back to John, verse 15. This is about John the Baptist. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now this is an interesting little little section here, the comments here. This is very important information. John says, there is one coming after me who is greater than me because he was before me. Just that language in itself is a little confusing, isn't it? He comes after me, but he was before me. Jesus will have an encounter like this, and he will say, before Abraham was, I am, and it will be a very significant moment. But that will come later on. And then he goes on to express it, out of the fullness we have received grace upon grace. You see, through Jesus, the the grace of God in its fullness has come to us. Now, Now, there was grace before, I mean, think about the different ways that that God had reached out to Israel, had tried to teach the people all the things he had done. Even the giving of the law, and you might not have seen it this way, but even the giving of the law was an act of grace on the part of God. Well, why is that? Well, because the law is not primarily given for the purpose of condemning us. We're already in condemnation. We We don't need an external law to make us condemned. Why did God give the law? God gave the law so they would know how to live. You see, that's the reality of what had become of humanity. We had to be told not to kill one another. We had to be told not to steal from one another. We had to be told not to commit adultery. We had to be told that we are to worship the one God. That's what had become of us. And the truth is, the giving of the law was a great act of grace. But now the giving of redemption through Jesus is a grace upon grace that goes beyond what had happened before. And then this verse 18 is interesting. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The Bible's clear on this, that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Now, I actually had an interesting realization in my life. One of the heritages of being an Adventist and being in a community 
that takes the word very seriously and that is interested in the law and teaches the law and things like Sabbath and things like that is that sometimes we grow up with this notion, or at least I grew up with this notion, that, that I knew a lot about God. But the other thing I realized was, but I'm not sure I know so much about Jesus. And to pose the question is to realize the folly of the statement. Because the New Testament is very clear that you don't know God if you don't know Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is the closest relationship to the Father has made him known. You cannot understand the fullness of who God is if you don't start with Jesus. You can't get there. Well, let's go on. Verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. See, they were looking for a Messiah, but the Messiah they were looking for was somebody uh, who, it depended on who you talked to, but mostly the idea here was this was going to be an earthly king who was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel in a, in a very literal sense. And so when anybody started doing some pretty strange things in a religious context, everybody would say, well, do you think you're the Messiah? So they asked John. He said, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Why would they ask that question? Well, there was a prophecy by the prophet Malachi. It's given in Malachi chapter 4. And this prophecy says, I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So there was this understanding that, that Elijah would come back in one form or another. And there were other reasons why that question might have been held, might, might have been asked, because John the Baptist himself, he, he dressed and behaved in manners not dissimilar with how the Old Testament described Elijah. And it's kind of interesting that he denies this. He says, no, I'm not Elijah. Because in another place, Jesus will say, indeed, Elijah has come, but they chose not to believe in him. And the disciples understand he's referring to John the Baptist. So, so in a sense, he's literally saying, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm another guy. But in another sense, his purpose is like that of Elijah. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Well, what is this question? This question goes all the way back to the words of Moses. Moses had said that one day God will send another prophet like me. And so the people have been expecting the Messiah. They've been expecting John the Baptist. They've been expecting the prophet, not knowing for sure what any of these things would be. I said John the Baptist, didn't I? They've been expecting Elijah. Here we go. Yeah. And the prophet, not knowing what they would be. So they asked John the Baptist, are you these things? Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. 
Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He doesn't exactly answer that question yet, but he will. Here's the answer he gives. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? He says, there is someone standing among you who you don't know. It gets back to this whole identifiable issue, this whole thing going on here, that one of the great challenges about Jesus coming was going to be our ability to recognize that he was the one who came to put our faith in him and by doing that become the sons and daughters of God. And John says, he's already here. You just haven't figured out who he is. I baptize with water, John replied, verse 26, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. All right, now here we go. We're going to get to the next level on this. Remember, John's purpose, it was stated over here, that he came so that through him all might believe. Now catch this, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But now catch these words. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Well, how is that? Let's keep going. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. So according to the book of John, the reason John the Baptist was out there baptizing was so that Jesus could be revealed. And God had told him, one day you will baptize someone, and when they come up, you will see the Holy Spirit descend upon them and remain. When you see that, know that this is the one. You see, John didn't know who Jesus was either. It was the identity crisis. And here's the reality. Jesus has been on the earth 30 years. Mary's still hanging on to something because, I mean, when the angel tells you the baby is going to be the Son of God, you hang on to that. But it's been a long time. Now watch what happens next. So, so, so we have this identity question. We have this need to recognize. We have the fact that John has come for the purpose of revealing who Jesus is. God has promised him, you're going to baptize, you're going to see the Holy Spirit fall, and when that happens, you're going to be the only one that knows for sure. So watch what he does. Verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, 
the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So what has taken place here? John knows who Jesus is, and he sees him again, and he says, look, there he is. But his two disciples aren't sure. So they follow Jesus a little bit, and Jesus sees them, and he turns around and says, what, what do you want? He said, well, where are you staying? I guess it was the best question they could come up with in the moment. And Jesus says, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So we don't have a breakdown on what took place there, but apparently what took place when they went with Jesus to see who he was was that now not only did John believe that that's who he was, but these two disciples of John came to believe it as well. Why? Because they spent time with Jesus, because they went to see for themselves. So let's go on in the story. What happens next? Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Now, that's kind of an interesting little piece of information, isn't it? Andrew, who becomes one of the twelve, who's the brother of Simon Peter, he isn't necessarily... Uh, one of the, he's not Peter, James, or John, but he's, he's one of the 12, was apparently a pretty religious guy because he had chosen to be a disciple of John the Baptist. And he was following John the Baptist, and he, he goes, and the first thing he does, Andrew, Simon's freedom brother, was one of the two who heard what, G, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he did what? He brought him to Jesus. Now, we don't have the quote there. He doesn't say, come and see. But we have the action there. He says, come with me. You've got to see this. And he takes Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And it means the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So now Philip is somebody who has apparently had some interaction with Jesus. We don't have backstory here. But Jesus says, all right, Philip, you know who I am. Come with me. But now watch what Philip does. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. So remember, Andrew goes and finds Peter and brings him. Philip goes and finds Nathanael. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. We have found him. Remember identity, recognition, searching for. The reason John the Baptist came was so that he could be identified. And here, both Andrew and Philip are saying, we found him, we found him. We found the one. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law 
and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. What does Philip say? Come and see. Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now this is actually a very clever interaction, and I don't want you to miss this because this, this is a beautiful thing taking place here. So, so Nathanael is suspicious because Nazareth was not a town with a great reputation. And Nathanael's a pretty righteous guy. I mean, I don't think, I'm not saying that in a, in a negative way either. I don't think he was self-righteous. I think he really was a good guy. And he comes up to Jesus and says, now here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Why is that such an interesting statement? All right, well, let's, let's go back to the history. Israelite means a son of Israel, right? And Israel was the name given to Jacob after he struggled with the angel. You remember that story? He struggles with the angel in the night. The angel touches his hip. The whole thing goes on. He gives him a new name. He calls him Israel. But his original name is Jacob. Do you remember what Jacob means? Jacob means deceiver. And so here is an encounter with Nathanael coming up. And, and, and Jesus says to him, Ah, a son of the deceiver who does not deceive. Isn't that an interesting interaction? Here is a true Israelite. Not the Jacob, the transformed Israel. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. There is no deceiver. There is no deceit. What a powerful word to have Jesus say to him. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, I've heard some speculation on this, and, and the suggestion here is that he wasn't just randomly under the fig tree. He was, in fact, involved in worship at that point. And Nathaniel finds him as he's involved in the worship. And that this worship, the fact that Jesus was aware of him at this point where he was worshiping becomes a powerful conviction in Nathaniel's heart. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And this is a rather remarkable point. And we see this still even in our day. Sometimes there are people who just get it. They have a single encounter with Jesus. It can even be a very short one. And in that moment, they know who he is and they live the rest of their lives committed to his cause and purpose. Nathaniel's one of those guys. And it, it happens so quickly, 
and so powerfully that it's almost like Jesus himself is even a little surprised. Verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. And think about all the things that Jesus did to try to help people believe and how hard some people tried not to believe. And yet here's Nathaniel, just because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, he's like, I'm with you, Lord. You know people like that in your life? They have this faith that's just unshakable. They're just solid. Jesus says, you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, I mentioned that little thing earlier about Jacob and, and the deceiver and all of that and the context of that, and you might have thought, yeah, that sounds pretty good, but that sounds, I don't know, for sure. Let me suggest to you what Jesus says here is confirmation of the reality that his interaction with Nathaniel is very much in the context of the story of Jacob. Do you remember when Jacob left his home and he's going to live with his brother-in-law, I mean his mother's brother, uh, because he had deceived his family for the birthright? You remember this story? And he lays down outside of Bethel and he puts his head on a rock and he has a dream. Do you remember his dream? He dreamed of a ladder that ascended to heaven. And what was ascending and descending on the ladder? Angels of God, right? Look at this. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus said is, I'm the ladder. Jacob had the dream of the access point to heaven. But I'm here to tell you, I am the access point. I'm the ladder. It's a powerful moment. It's deep in theology. It's deep in meaning. And, and Nathaniel gets it. And, and he's, he's committed. But I want to go back to this idea that some people see and believe and others take a long time. We, we spent some time on two different stories we talked about the story of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the night and because he's, he's so much a part of the reality of, of, of the society of Judaism that it's hard for him to believe. It's hard for him to put it down. And he wrestles with Jesus and Jesus speaks with him figuratively and, and out of that interaction we get that powerful verse John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved so this is the interaction with Nicodemus and we know that story goes on and it's not until the end of Jesus's life that Nicodemus really has his Nathaniel moment where he's ready to step forward and legitimately be a disciple. It takes him a long time. But we also talked about the story of the Samaritan woman. And she has a little interaction with Jesus at the well. And in the midst of the interaction at the well, Jesus makes a comment to her about, it's true, you're not married. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. And, and, and this then turns into a powerful moment with her, and Jesus 
to her says, I am the Messiah. He reveals himself. But now, do you remember what happens after that? John chapter 4, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, catch these words, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, do you see a theme here? Come and see. Come and see. A person begins to believe and then they go and tell other people and when those other people say, I don't know, what is their answer? Come and see for yourself. Come and see. Come and see. Andrew says it to Peter. Philip says it to Nathaniel. John the Baptist, in essence, says it to the first two that go after him. There he is. Go and see. The Samaritan woman. And what's the result of that? You read on down further, the people say, at first we were interested because you told us about him, but now that we've seen for ourselves, we believe for ourselves. We know who he is. Some people recognize Jesus really fast. Some people it takes a long time. Think about your own story. How did it go for you? Even if you think you've been a believer all your life, there's usually a point somewhere in your life where it went to the next level. How did it go for you? I want to take you back to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. All right, here's what I want to suggest to you. What God called John to be at the beginning he now calls the church to be. And I want you to think about that as I read these words again. And I'm going to substitute in here. There, was, there were people sent from God whose name was the church. They came as witnesses to testify concerning the light so that through them all might believe. They themselves were not the light. They came only as witness to the light. See, that's who we are. We are witnesses to the reality that God sent his son into the world, the very one who was there at creation, the very one through whom we have light and life came into the world, lived, died, resurrected, and coming again. And we, the church, carry the message. So how are we going to do it? Well, I appreciated the poem that Vanessa wrote because I feel like it very much went right down this road and very much spoke to this very issue. But what I want to suggest to you is we've got to learn how to say 
Come and see. Instead of getting really good at arguing, instead of, uh, of somehow thinking we've got to make Jesus believable, we've got to figure out how to say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And we can't get caught in the trap that says, we the church are the light. We're not the light. Jesus is the light. We're only witnesses to the light. But let me say this before I go any further with it. You better have an experience with Jesus yourself or you can't really invite someone else to come and see. So if the church, in fact, has that powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in its midst, then people have the opportunity to come and experience for themselves. The goal is not to convert people to an organization or to a group in a building. The goal is to connect them with Jesus. In fact, that was the reason John wrote the whole book John chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Are you a slow believer, a fast believer? Are you Philip? Are you Andrew? Are you Peter? Are you Nathaniel? Are you Nicodemus? Are you the woman of Samaria? How did you get here? How did you come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God? Did someone say to you, come and see? If God's purpose is to be fulfilled through us in our day, in our generation, for whatever he's called us to do, we've got to learn the spirit of Philip. We've got to learn the spirit of Andrew. We've got to learn the spirit of the Samaritan woman who encounters Jesus and then goes to the ones they know and says, come and see. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He came into the world to save us. May this be the light that is in this place. And by God's grace, may many come and see. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that by your grace you have given us the means to recognize who you are. I pray that our faith is strong and solid and we are settled. But Lord, I also pray that we will learn the simple phrase, come and see. And that in this place, 
Your Holy Spirit will be present in a way that someone who might come here or might encounter us anywhere would see the light that's not us, but the light that is in fact Jesus Christ living in us. Only in Him is hope and peace and love and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.